Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 18th, 2021 on KUAF. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. On our show this afternoon, a mentoring program directed by the Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council. As you can see, Northwest Arkansas wants to retain this great mm-hmm. talent, these great uh, professionals that, are, that are, are being raised here and having a wonderful education from NWAC and from the U of A. So this, this will really put them in contact with the community and hopefully we can retain them here. And in about three and a half minutes... Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on stronger connections developing between Arkansas farms and schools, connections that bring more local produce to school cafeterias. The Arkansas Department of Health reports 945 new cases of COVID-19 in combined testing results for Saturday and Sunday. The ADH is adding eight fatal cases from the weekend of the state's total, and there are 39 fewer hospitalizations from the virus than this time on Friday. Hospitalizations are now fewer than 500 for the first time since the summer surge of cases gained momentum. The legalization of medical marijuana in Arkansas and many other states is allowing researchers to study the impact of the drug on everything from crime to the economy. This week on Talk Business and Politics, Rhett Smith, professor of economics at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, said his research project focused on whether or not access to medical marijuana contributed to a rise in use of other drugs. My initial research paper was looking at the effects of these um, cannabis dispensaries on opioid-related overdoses, so the, um, to, to see what effect that had on our ongoing opioid epidemic. Um, and early results were showing that in areas where these dispensaries were opening up, we had these relative declines in opioid-related deaths. And so that would actually go against this idea of it being a gateway drug. Smith pointed out that the details of his research may yet yield different results for different types of opioids or for different demographic groups. He plans to do more studies of the relationship between medical marijuana and crime. Arkansas Children's Research Institute and the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will continue their collaboration in the nationwide Healthy Brain and Child Development Study. The two entities are working together on the project now and will continue to do so over the next five years with a $7.2 million funding package from the National Institutes of Health. The study will establish a large cohort of pregnant women and follow them and their children for at least 10 years. The goal is to better understand how prenatal and perinatal experiences have an impact on brain and behavioral development. And the winning streak continues for the Arkansas Razorback soccer team. Arkansas defeated Missouri 6-1 Friday night in Fayetteville to extend the program best run to 12 straight victories. Arkansas will seek a 13th straight win at Auburn Thursday night. And then the final home match of the regular season is Sunday night at 6 in Fayetteville against Mississippi State. Monday, this is Ozarks at Large. A green forest orchard which delivers produce to several local school districts is part of a growing farm-to-school movement taking place in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich tells us more. 
John Aislich and wife Elizabeth, co-owners of ANA Orchard and Green Forest, are avid fruit growers, selling sustainably produced apples, peaches, and pears at farmer's markets across the region. We caught up with Aislich on a recent afternoon, delivering bagged apples to Fayetteville Farmer's Market for pre-purchased delivery to patrons. And it's a, uh, the Jonathan family. And uh, it's kind of, uh, Kind of tart and sweet. You know, every apple has its own flavor. Taking a break from delivering fruit, Aislich says he also routinely supplies fresh fruits in season to Green Forest School District in Carroll County and Fayetteville School District. I think it was about 10, maybe 8 to 10 years ago that we started it. Um, my wife and I have done it with, with help of our employees. Uh, so we do the peaches in the summer with Fayetteville and because they have a, a summer program. And then we lose, generally lose the bid for apples, but we do apples every fall with Green Forest. Then we do one, one large apple uh, delivery at the end of October for, I think which, this is farm to school month, so for the Fayetteville Public School District. ANA Orchard is on the map. In this case, a new multi-platform website hosted by Arkansas Department of Agriculture, connecting local orchards and farms to schools, featured our interactive maps of school gardens, local procurement activities, and participating farms and producers, which number around 800 statewide. The free website enables both schools and farms to create profiles illustrated with photographs and videos to encourage exchange. Not to mention, John Aislich says, consumption of fresh-picked produce. They actually eat our fruit instead of throwing it away. A&A Orchard, one of the last operating orchards in northwest Arkansas, delivers tree-ripened fruit rather than cold-storaged produce. It's fresh, you know. It's picked within several days or at most a few weeks of, you know, it was on the tree and then it's in the, you know, at the school. It hasn't been stored for a long time and we, we pick it at the right time. We queried Green Forest School District's child nutrition director, Shelley Foltz. She declined talking on tape, but says the children love their homegrown apples and peaches, preferring the fruit over supply chain produce. It's kind of loud. <laughs> Walking into a cafeteria cold storage facility at Fayetteville High School, Ellie Maracek says students relish ANA produce. She's also director of child nutrition for the district. Traditionally, with uh, non-local fruit, I guess, we source our produce from a produce company um, called Kate Kimball and Thompson Produce, and they're wonderful. They've been able to keep a consistent plot supply for us during the pandemic, and so we're very grateful for them. For our local produce, however, we source directly from the grower, and they deliver to our district warehouse, and then our warehouse staff takes the local produce out to the schools. Rachek says the district has purchased locally grown fruit from ANA Orchard since 2010. They have been a big supporter of our program and they continue to supply uh, local produce and apples, other tree fruits for us, and they're so delicious. Uh, the other tree fruit grower that we source from is Van Sant Fruit Farm. So we do we are able to buy from multiple tree fruit growers. Van Zandt Fruit Farms operate a large produce stand in Lowell. Seasonality helps us get better pricing, and I, I would say that the local tree fruit that we get in our areas is very reasonable and 
we can afford to purchase it through their whole growing season. And so we are usually purchasing local apples for all school cafeterias between, between for the months of August through January. So half the school year, our apples are local. And Ratchak says students always know when the fruit's local. Yeah, I think uh, the students definitely notice a taste difference. And, you know, there's sometimes there's a shape and color difference, so they know it's local. You know, it, they're not always perfectly shined, but uh, you might think that students would shy away from that. But in this case, they can tell that it's locally grown and they're more attracted to them because of that rustic look and a better flavor. So over these last 10 or so years, students have come to learn that these locally grown apples are, they taste better. Students taste the difference and learn the difference are educated about supporting local growers, she says. I think students, especially of this generation, really get behind the concept of knowing where your food comes from and, you know, buying locally to support your local community. Not only, I think, because of the pandemic and we had to support each other through this time, but with social media and just having so much more information at their fingertips, they learn in school and outside of school these concepts about the importance of a local food system. And it's more part of the, the normal jargon and terminology that they're used to. I would also say that we promote these foods pretty often in our cafeterias and through social media. So we're creating an environment where that information is in, available and it's fun and colorful. The Farm to School program was established by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture three years ago under a collaborative comprised of 12 state agencies and nonprofits. And in celebration of National Farm to School Month, on October 29th, a locally sourced lunch will be prepared and served in Fayetteville Public School cafeterias, Maracek says. And we've been doing that local lunch for about 11 years. And lots of apples will be eaten. Farm to school programs yield good health and educational outcomes among Arkansas school children and teens, state experts say, while supporting farmers and growers in local communities. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. There are a dozen Arkansas school playgrounds that will soon have more shade. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Forestry Division picked the 12 schools to receive shade tree plantings as part of the Shade Trees on Playgrounds program. The recipients include Pea Ridge Middle School, and the Atkins Elementary School and Middle School. The program was developed to lower adult skin cancer risk by reducing childhood exposure to direct sunlight where children play. The schools selected to be part of the project will each receive up to five shade trees, mulch, watering supplies, and planting guidelines. Walton Arts Center presents the Broadway musical Come From Away, October 26th through the 31st. Based on a true story, cultures clash and nerves run high between stranded passengers and a small town in Newfoundland. But trust grows, music soars, and friendships do endure. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. 2,600 more doses of the COVID-19 vaccine were administered to Arkansans this weekend. During the weekend, the Arkansas Department of Health reported more than 1,000 state residents became fully immunized against the virus. Yesterday on NBC's Meet the Press, Governor Asa Hutchinson explained he is against government vaccine mandates. 
but he says he supports the rights of businesses and companies to establish such mandates. And so let me make it clear that when I say I don't believe we ought to be engaging in mandates, I'm speaking of uh, the government mandates, whether it's a federal government mandate or a state government mandate. The governor says that the government should stay out of private business decisions. And this morning, Governor Hutchinson took note of the life of Colin Powell. The former United States Secretary of State has died from complications of COVID-19. His family says he was fully vaccinated. Governor Hutchinson wrote this morning, the nation has lost a true hero and statesman who dedicated his life to serving the country. The governor further tweeted that his respect for Secretary Powell grew as they both served in the Bush administration after 9-11. I'm Michelle Martin. When we reach certain milestones, we often want to reevaluate a few things. Maybe try something different, like, I don't know, a new look, maybe skydiving. But here at NPR, 50 years in, we've been taking stock and feeling pretty good. A little wiser and ready to take on another 50. New hobbies and haircuts come and go, but NPR is here for you for the long haul. And thank you for your continued listening to and support for Ozarks at Large as we move through our 32nd year on the air as a radio news magazine. And for your continued support of KUAF as we move through our 37th year as an NPR affiliate. We appreciate you very much. And you can always learn more about us at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council continues its efforts to help further establish the careers of young Northwest Arkansans. The Latinx on the Rise Mentorship Program connects students to mentees from various parts of the Northwest Arkansas community. The council, whose mission is to foster and develop Hispanic corporate, educational, nonprofit, small business, and community leaders in the region, launched the 2021 2022 mentorship program recently. We invited Luis Fernando Restrepo, the vice president of the Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council, to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about the program. He says it began in 2018 and it focuses on upper level students from the University of Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas Community College and is intended to build the next generation of community leaders. We feel that there is already there some programs to get um, Latino students into college, some support in college, but the next step was was not really clear. Um, Are they connected to the community around? Do they know the different community organizations? Do you know what are the key issues and opportunities on the ground? So we wanted to expose them. And do they have the the, networking skills, the social capital, to be really effective. So that's, that's what we started, to pair them with professionals. Uh, so it's not necessarily a professional, particular technical training, but more be involved in the community, um, find out what's going on. And, and that's, that's the goal of the program. And we received really excellent report uh, response from the mentors from different companies and also from faculty in NWARC and the U of A and the community. Do you try to pair up mentors and mentees with sort of um, similar professional uh, disciplines or or no? 
Yes, we do. We, we look at the applications and we see some of the interest. Although we tell the, the students that basically be open if we don't have the perfect match specifically. But if we see, I mean, we've, we've had some students that are interested in film and we had some, someone from the Bentonville uh, Film Festival uh, or someone with international relations and we have several people working in, in international, for example, from Coca-Cola or we have someone in, in engineer and we have someone interested in bioengineering and we were able to do the match history with a history professor. So that works. And uh, we, we tell our students and our mentors to be open. That is just the general mentoring, getting closer to a professional if it's not a close uh, match profession to profession. I hope this isn't a, ba- uh, a stupid question. Are all of the mentors Hispanic Latinx? Or no, they they're can, not. They can be yeah. anybody. They could be anybody. And, and so far, uh, our mentees have all been Latino, although by per se we're not close to other ones. And uh, in the um, Hispanic Leadership Council, uh, we have uh, members of the board and other people that are collaborating that are not uh, Latino in that matter. We have, for example, Justin White, uh, who is a vice provost of student services at NWAC, and we have Pete Laurie of Tyson, uh, that is a non-Latino, a Latino by heart. They all are Latinos by heart. And we welcome a, anyone to come to a community. You, you don't have to be in the board to help organize this. We have other people that are, that are contributing. We had recently on our board uh, Greg Fess of Univision, and he was an ally. He continues to be an ally, but he's just uh, with another ways of getting involved. Um, so... Uh, anyone is welcome. We definitely see that there is a specific need of the Hispanic community in terms of first-generation college students, in terms of the institutional um, uh, structure that other places like California or New York may have had more experience, or Texas, of having Latinos for a long period. Because here we have just uh, the support network being built up and we know a little bit more which are those small organizations that lead, need some funding. We decided we need to support them. Uh, so the Hispanic Leadership Council uh, developed the first uh, giving circle in Northwest Arkansas. Um, and that giving circle, anyone can contribute to that uh, regularly or one time. And we run our fund through the Arkansas Community Foundation. So it's all audited. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, independent and and uh, very, uh, we basically right now, we don't have every uh, overhead. We're all right now on volunteers uh, with this grant. We might be able, to, we, we will be able to get a a, um, a support of uh, one um, program director, and and that's right now the only overhead expense that we have. Um, we we are getting to the point where we need that to to really build capacity, and this is what the Walton Family Foundation grant is doing, which we are very, very grateful for the trust that they have and, and how they're helping us to move to the next level. The grant is for three years? Yes, it's a three-year grant. It's uh, almost half a million, and it supports three initiatives. Uh, the first one is to enhance the mentoring program, Latinx on the Rise. The second one is to create a new line of paid internships that are community development internships. And if I may elaborate a little bit on it, is this is basically what we are seeing. 
I, as a professor, I've had the opportunity to review um, the CVs, the, the profiles, and, and the portfolios of, of affluent students that are able to compete for, for many of the grants. And they've been able to do internships in Washington, D.C., here, there. Uh, you can see that they spent a lot of time outside of their studies and, and not, maybe not working, that they're able to do this on non-paid. And some of our Latino students, first generation, low income, have to work a lot, you know, in a restaurant, because the cashier, nothing wrong with those game, the works, uh, jobs, but they're not getting a, something related to their profession. So we, we have uh, now the opportunity for 10 internships per year for three years to college students that have participated in our mentoring program and can go and put at least 120 hours in the community in different organizations. Hopefully those same organizations we're partnering with and are also helping the community. So it helps the community. It helps our um, college students uh, prepare and get to know um, what, what is happening there and get some valuable professional experience. And then the last part. Yeah, I was going to say there was yes, a third. Initiative. The third one is just building capacity for the organization. How hard, you know, is is being a learning experience. Getting this on the ground, as uh, you know, getting the five hundred one c three, the nonprofits um, you know, status, and then you know how how to work and how to grow specifically on how to make it sustainable. So like many organizations that they start really energetic with people really committed, um, we are all humans and, and uh, we don't want to burn out, we want to create the structures to make this sustainable. And this is part of what we're doing here, a call to our um, community to support us. Uh, the generous grant that we got requires some uh, um, funding uh, uh, race, how you say, fundraising from our point of view. So if we don't meet certain goals that they put, and they're very doable, um, but what we're going to be needing to do some fundraising to be able to keep the grant, you know, being renewed during the three years. And then as we continue for other uh, grant funding, as is normal for some nonprofits like KUAF and the say, other public ones. Public radio understands yes, fundraising. To, yes. to do that, we need, we need our community to, to support each other. Um, so th this is also a plea for, for those professionals that you want to mentor Latino students. Uh, you can do that. For those that want to help more with um, uh, some funds, you, you can do that as well uh, through our giving circle. And, and you can go also to our page. That's the link to that specifically. Every dollar we're going right now on our third cycle of giving. These are very small grants, but we're giving, for example, to the NWAC um, RISE program that is a pre-college program, the Sunrise School that serves a mixed community. It's not only Latinos, but there's, you know, special children as well. Uh, we've done it with a um, LULAC uh, a program in uh, Rogers Heritage for ninth graders and 10th graders. And uh, mine Skypes right now, which one other ones. But we've been uh, supporting the community um, in a way that this funding circle, we believe, has the potential to grow much. Uh, there's so much resources. There is wealth here. Uh, something that happened to us uh, for much of the vendor circle within uh, Walmart and Tyson and uh, is that some were rotating from one place to the other, and they were not finding a way to connect. 
and give back to Northwest Arkansas. I mean, sometimes they're here, they might be in Cincinnati, if they're Procter & Gamble, they might be in another right. place in two, three years. How, how to get them connected to Northwest Arkansas, they feel they can make an impact. So like you and many people that are transitioning in your professional life, you know, two, three, four, five years, this is a good organization that will look closely where the community needs is and put your dollars there. And we have now some companies that are doing the match funding. So it's making it more sustainable. So it's still a small, it's a small a new organization, and, uh, but we're really happy. And it's incredible to see how people come together and how when we had those meetings at the end of the mentoring uh, program, you know, this is our third year, you can see how the mentors say, I was there. I could see and I helped this student to present. And who are you? But tell me, who really are you? These kind of questions. And, and to see how they reclaim their voice, find their voice, how they get connected. Some actually got jobs, you know, directly out of this, got into graduate school. We have a couple of those, the graduate school. And we help other ones uh, through his, the history professor, Stephen Rosales, that accompanied some students to come from uh, NWAC to uh, the UFA. So when they came to the UFA, you know, the UFA sometimes is a big place for, for some first-generation college students. This made it much so easier. It's out of the generosity of time uh, of our mentors, like him and many others that I'm, 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 I, I, I try to mention everyone. It would be impossible to mention and thank them all very much. They, they go beyond their call of duty. These mentees, these interns, 19, 20, 21 years old generally, not necessarily, Not necessarily, because then we have on the college uh, side, we have the um, um, some of the first generation, uh, some may have worked, and uh, they might be under 25, 26. So it's the kind of the... The, when, when we come to the, the Latino students, not all fit the profile of the 18 to 22 come and live on campus, which is, is another story of not being on campus, staying close to the, to the family and, and commuting to the university. Uh, they don't get also the exposure to kind of the, the social um, um, possibilities, uh, social um, uh, capacity of building this, this, this social capital. So this provides that. So you may have some that have been taking classes, you know, here, there, working, paying each class. Uh, so maybe 25 or something. I, I don't have a, an average sure. of specifically, but just by looking at them. Or some, they're just about ready to go to grad school. We've had some of those uh, going into education or going into grad school. So they're already on their third and fourth year at the university. So it's uh, less of a beginning of college experience, although we've had some freshmen there. But more, once they're in, how can they stay in school and, and also um, yeah. get to know also more the community? And this is something that uh, is really important and relevant, and it was relevant for our funder. Uh, nationally, you know, there's a big need for professionals ready to go. The workforce, you know, it's just just incredible. As you can see, Northwest Arkansas wants to retain this great mm -hmm. talent, these great uh, professionals that are that are are being raised here and having a wonderful education from NWAC and from the U of A. So this this will really put them in contact with the community, and hopefully, we can retain them here. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's better for all of us anyway. 
But if we can be a little bit selfish and keep them here in Northwest Arkansas, even better. Correct. And and if we look by numbers, uh, you know, all of Northwest Arkansas uh, needs to see that the immigrant community and the Hispanic community by numbers, if we don't support them properly, our area will not prosper because it's such a significant component of our community by the numbers, but we can also think about what is there in the talents and in the opportunities. Um, the languages that they bring all the immigrants, you know, th those initiatives that engage Northwest Arkansas and the Northwest Arkansas Council, been working on that no, and the university as well with, with the different initiatives. No, oh, the languages, the ideas, the music, the cuisine, everything. Absolutely. We're better. Since you've been involved with this, has it made you at all think about when you were 18, 21, 23? And moving up professionally, absolutely, yeah. I don't. Well, I I'm very grateful for all the um, help that I have received. I, I think I wouldn't be where I am had I not had those mentoring um, opportunities. It never really on a structured program of mentoring, so I kind of found one way or another people that will serve as mentors. Um, but but I can say that that. Uh, Maybe I could have done better in some things than the other ones. I stumbled against the wall looking for some jobs that I was, you know, if I had a little bit of information, you know, just write a cover letter. Or, or I get when some mentors, for example, some recent immigrants, when they start circulating a, a CV and they send a CV that saying that you're married, you put your pictures there, you put your date of birth, and say, you, you don't do that here, you know. Well, you can do it, absolutely, and there's some people and, and different generations might do that. But just, just to know that e even a co cover letter has all these unwritten rules mm -hmm. of what you would say. An interview, the kind of things you would do, what things you don't talk in the first interview and you do in the second one. All those things I kind of had to figure, like, you know, asking questions one way here and there. So we're, we're happy that we can, maybe we won't be able to answer all the questions, but accompany, accompany some of the way, um, some of these students. At the same time, we hope to develop a um, best practices manual for our mentors so they'll feel more confident to help. Yeah, because that some people might be a little bit skeptical. Am I really a mentor? Right. Do I have enough information? Do I have to, the time? Do, do I, I have yeah. the time to do this? Um, so it's always a learning experience. And, and this is something that I find myself more and more. In a career as a professional, one works trying to establish oneself individually. And then you get to the point that everything that you started won't make any sense and won't last if you don't prepare the next generation. So Proxima Generacion, this is our grant, next generation. If we don't do that, if we don't train those that are behind us, we're going to fail. We're going to fail pretty bad. So I think that it is our best interest that we see the next generations how hungry they are, and they're willing to take those time extra to learn and, and to bring a vision that is not only for them. And that's what we hope for these um, uh, mentees, that they're not only, this is an uh, internships that are not your individual, um, you know, we'll help you to establish individually, that's fine, but that shouldn't be your definition of success, that you are individually successful is if your family is successful, if your community is sustainable, that is success. Luis Fernando Restrepo is the vice president of the Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council. He came to the Carver Center for Public Radio Friday afternoon to talk about the Latinx on the Rise mentorship program.
He's also a university professor in the Department of World Languages, Literatures, and Cultures at the University of Arkansas. And you can learn more about the mentorship program and more about the Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council at nwahispanic.org. I'm Scott Tong. Student-athletes are back in college for the first time since the Supreme Court allowed them to monetize their name, image, and likeness. How's it going? Student-athletes are not getting the types of sponsorship deals they may have expected. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are generally not drifting down from heaven like manna on students. That's the next time on Here and Now. Here and Now, today at 1 on KUAF, and you can also listen from anywhere with the KUAF app. Central EMS offers a paramedic ambulance membership plan available to most residents of Washington County. This plan helps members avoid out-of-pocket expenses for ambulance transport and paramedic services and benefits all immediate household family members. More information available at centralems.org membership. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. I have concluded that the people of Arkansas yearn for a leader who really cares. If democracy is to work, every man who cares not only has the right, but the responsibility of accepting the challenge and making it work. I accept the challenge, and I will seek the office of governor of this state. That is a very familiar voice in Arkansas history. Here to tell us more is Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, who'd we just hear? That would be Dale Bumpers, the man from Charleston, uh, who actually wrote a book called The Best Lawyer in a One Lawyer Town, which would have been Charleston, Arkansas. He was born in 1925 there in Franklin County. And, of course, was a governor and a longtime senator and um, and is the namesake, right, for the School of Agriculture at the University of Arkansas. That's right. That's right. He, he was the 38th governor and served two terms from 71 to 75, but he was a U.S. senator for 24 years. I mean, that's, that's quite an achievement. But, uh, you know, when he announced for governor in 1970, he was virtually unknown. He was, a, like I say, a lawyer from a small town, Charleston, and uh, he, he was such an eloquent speaker and so charismatic, he, he shot up. Um, I guess in the polls, and he beat Orville Faubus and Hayes McClurkin, and then was in a runoff with Joe Purcell, and beat him, and then in the general election, just knocked out Winthrop Rockefeller. Well, and a couple things there. That's back when, if you were a Democrat in Arkansas, you had a massive advantage in, in, in November, when Rockefeller's two elections notwithstanding. And Winthrop Rockefeller had, as you will do in two terms of governor, he had rubbed some people the wrong way. He had. And, and he, it was rare to have a Republican in office. He was the first governor, I believe, uh, since Reconstruction, yeah. Republican governor. And, um, well, it, it was kind of a landslide. <laughs> 
The man has arrived. You hear the reaction of the crowd, and he is here. Times when I, there were many, many times, as a matter of fact, up until a week before the first primary, I just didn't think we were going to be able to do it. And uh, the money was in extremely short supply. And uh, not until the last three days before the first primary did I think we might have a chance of, of getting in. So this young, charismatic Dale Bumpers is now governor, and he was incredibly charismatic during that 1970 race. He was, and they, they had a huge uh, inauguration for him at, at the Capitol uh, that following January. And we have a report here from Judy Pryor, from KATV, no relation to David and Barbara, but she was a reporter and she talks about the uh, festivities. Governor and Mrs. Bumpers will be receiving guests in the governor's reception room on the second floor of the Capitol building. Betty Bumpers describes the gown she'll be wearing. It's a two-piece ensemble in pale blue, heavy threaded satin. The dress curves from floor length to mid-calf and front with a fingertip jacket that has three-quarter length sleeves and a beaded cuff. Looking back, Dale Bumpers was, especially in the political world, pretty young at the time, and I think he represented to a lot of others something that was different than Orville Faubus, who was trying to get back in the governor's house, and Winthrop Rockefeller. He seemed like this breath of fresh air. He really was, and he took the opportunity after two terms uh, in the governor's office to run for the U.S. Senate, which, I mean, you go up against a guy like William Fulbright, who was a political, what, legend, really. And um, he, he made the announcement in 1974 that he was gonna run. I believe that new leadership and a new spirit is essential to the revitalization of the faith of the American people. I will not dwell on the difficulties I experienced in reaching this decision. Hundreds of letters have come to my office. Hundreds of people have offered suggestions as to what would be best for me personally. All of those suggestions have been helpful, but in the final analysis, of course, the decision had to be made by my family and me, and it had to be done on a conviction and a belief of what we thought would be best for Arkansas. That is really the important issue. So much like when he was an unknown running for the Democratic nomination for governor, now he's going up against an established decades-long serving U.S. senator, a household name. He again appears to be kind of the fresh face. That's true. And he, uh, there was a lot of negotiations that went on about having a debate. And uh, it was finally agreed to. And... Um, well, here's Jim Pitcock from KATV with a report about the campaign and the announcement that there would actually be a Senate debate. The governor said he felt his campaign was on the right track, said he was looking forward to the joint appearance this Sunday with Senator Fulbright on ABC's Issues and Answers, which will be telecast nationally from the Channel 7 studios. One of the hottest, most far-reaching primaries in the United States will take place next Tuesday. J. William Fulbright, the Democratic Senator of Arkansas for the past 30 years, will be challenged for his Senate seat by Dale Bumpers, now serving his second term as the Democratic Governor of Arkansas, here in their first television interview appearance together. 
That's from uh, Autumn, 1974, heading into a big U.S. Well, no, actually, it wouldn't have been Autumn because this would have been the primary. This would have been in the spring, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. He uh, and and just beat um, Fulbright uh, handily uh, in in that race. And uh, and then swept the general election against a Republican by the name of John Harris Jones. This will be the last time I'll have the opportunity to address most of you while I'm governor of Arkansas. So I want to express my gratitude to you for allowing Betty and me to serve you. It has been a great experience. It has given us great opportunities. And we appreciate it. We've always been open with you. We have leveled with you and told you the truth, sometimes when it hurt, and sometimes when perhaps we'd rather not. And the very simple belief that being totally open is always the best policy. We have trusted you, and you have trusted us, and that's the way government works best. Thank you very much. Have to admit, if I've ever heard, I'm sure I've heard John Harris Jones' name before, but it had been a long time until just a few minutes ago. Right. He was not very well known. I believe he was a, a businessman, Republican, and I don't think really had much of a chance in the race. But um, Bumpers wins the election, and because of his move to Washington, he left the governor's office early. So here's Jim Pitcock with... Uh, the governor's last day at the Capitol. The governor arrived at the Capitol about an hour before the resignation was to become effective. He met with a small group of newsmen in his office and reflected on his four years as chief executive. As he said many times before, reorganization was the major accomplishment of his administration. Later, friends and well-wishers started filing into the office to offer him their congratulations. A group of teenage boys from Dumas came by to have their picture taken. Mrs. Bumpers and two children arrived shortly before 11 o'clock to be present for a ceremonial presentation of the flag that flew over the Capitol this morning. Is this when Bob Riley served as interim governor? I believe that's right, for a few days, yeah. yeah. All right, so now let's move up. We've heard him when the governor's mansion in 1970 his first term 70 uh, to the senate in 74 now he's up for re-election in 1980 that's right and he easily beat republican bill clark to land another six-year term so let's go up to 1983 and he was sort of testing the waters as a presidential candidate um and Steve Barnes and I traveled to Sacramento to the California Democratic Convention, and here's one of Steve's reports. It was Bumper's first official presidential foray, although he called himself only a possible prospective candidate. His audience, 1,400 delegates to the California Democratic Convention, plus another 1,000 activists and reporters. The senator hoped his speech could set him apart from the six others who appeared today, and he had saved his most stinging criticism yet of Ronald Reagan. Since January 1981, virtually every function of government in this country 
has been calculated to benefit the many at the expense of the few. In two short years of this administration, we have seen an outright betrayal of everything we value, not by an administration that's simply indifferent or uncaring, not by an administration that's just obsessed with an arms race, but by an administration whose value system apparently extends only to the wealthiest 20% of our people, not since the grapes of wrath has the American dream been so nightmarish for so many. Millions who dream the impossible dream now stand in cheese lines and unemployment lines. Bumpers was warmly received, but most delegates appeared committed to candidates who had announced earlier. A straw poll of delegates gave California's Cranston the expected lopsided majority, but Bumpers called the vote meaningless and said it would not affect his plans. Underestimating Dale Bumpers has been the fool's game of wonder state politics for more than a decade. He has demolished every opponent since his first statewide primary. But awesome margins in a state of two million does not guarantee the victor automatic national attention or prestige. And that is what Dale Bumpers is trying to develop, beginning here. Steve Barnes, New Scene 7, Sacramento. Now, let's, just for a second, because I think there might be people who are not native Arkansans who hear you and I talk. And we talk, you know, we've had the clip of Wilbur Mills running for president. We know that Mike Huckabee has run for president. Obviously, Bill Clinton won the presidency. I'm sure there's some non-Arkansans listening going, is all you guys talk about how your hometown politicians run for president? There was serious discussion about Dale Bumpers being a candidate. Rolling Stone magazine shared this glowing profile that they thought was going to be sort of the wind beneath his political wings and usher him to announce that he would run. Absolutely. And, you know, he considered it for a, a period of time, but there was, you know, there were several other uh, Democrats in, in that race. And he, he thought long and hard about it and eventually decided uh, that he was out of the race. Even though my decision is not to run, the past few months have been very beneficial to me and I hope will be to the state of Arkansas. As I crisscross the country speaking, meeting people and discussing issues, I sense that the anxiety and suspicion level are at an all-time high. But despite this, I also sense that people are still full of hope, still love their country more than their business, more than their union, more than their farm. They still yearn for leadership that will cause men and women to rise above the clutter in their lives, leadership that will give them some reason to be optimistic about their future. There are six Democratic candidates, all of whom are fine men, and perhaps one will strike that chord which people anxiously await and merges that kind of leader. So he remains in the Senate, does not run for the presidency, and uh, decides to go for a third term. That's right. So that now we come up to 1986, and he's running against our now governor, Asa Hutchinson. And they, again, had a debate. And in fact, that on educational television, you said the whole Star Wars program was madness. Are now, we, we have some strong disagreement sure, let me in say that something. issue. They have not spent 85% of the money we gave them this, this year. Three weeks from now, we start a new year, and they still haven't even allocated, haven't even obligated 85% of what we gave them this year. You mean for Star and, Wars? Yes, and we're going to give them another $3.1 billion 
of, of which none will be obligated. They're going to have almost $6 billion so just for research starting October So you want to cut the uh, defense budget even more than it's already been cut? I'm, well, I'm not suggesting we cut the defense budget. I'm simply saying that why would we give them that kind of money when they can't spend what we're giving them? And so that is a, from a debate in 1986, Senator Dale Bumpers and now Governor Asa Hutchinson um, screwing off. Asa Hutchinson at that point, a pretty young man. That's true. And he did not fare very well in, in the election. It was, it was a landslide even uh, bigger than the previous election uh, with the GOP candidate. So now Dale Bumpers has his third term. This country doesn't have one single problem that men and women of goodwill and courage and wisdom and forbearance can't deal with in a sensible way and make this a prosperous nation, a secure nation, one in which we enjoy all of our freedoms given us under the Constitution. And I will continue to defend that great document. And I hope all of America will join hands with members of the Congress and the President. We will continue here to build a better Arkansas and a greater, stronger America. Thank you very much. So he's now going to be in the Senate for a third term. He didn't run for president. But guess what? There was another Arkansan who did. Yes, and Dale Bumpers was a big supporter of Bill Clinton in his presidential campaign. And, well, here's an example of a rally where Bumpers introduced him. The people who count are the ones who go into the arena because they are committed. And even though they fail, they fail mightily because they believe. And even though their heads are bloodied and their brows are sweaty, they pick themselves up off the floor and go at it again and again because they believe. And how many times since this campaign began has Bill Clinton picked himself up off the arena floor and said, I still believe in this country. I still believe I can make a difference. America, please listen to me. So we come up to election night, 1992. Bill Clinton, of course, wins. And Dale Bumpers is also up for re-election. And he wins another term. And so he's going back to Washington and will join President Clinton. This would be, his fourth term would be his last term in the Senate. Yes, he, he, was, he was in the Senate for 24 years. So by 1997, uh, he was ready to call it quits. And this was a very emotional news conference announcing his retirement. It was a surprise to a lot of people. I will resist the well-nigh irresistible temptation to reminisce and philosophize with you. Rather, simply say that at the end of a political career that in 1988 will have spanned 28 years, I will retire from the political arena. And uh, it was Blanche Lincoln uh, who, who replaced him. But out of all of his speeches, he was a great orator, but out of all of his speeches, I think he is best known for one he did after he had retired, but had returned to the Capitol in 1999, 
and he gave the closing argument in the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton. We're here today because the president suffered a terrible moral lapse, a marital infidelity, not a breach of the public trust, not a crime against society, it is a sex scandal. H.L. Mencken said one time, when you hear somebody say, this is not about money, it's about money. <laughs> and when you hear somebody say, this is not about sex, it's about sex. Easy. I don't know if I should say easily, but that is, I think, his most remembered address. And he, as you mentioned, was a very good orator. Oh, it was, it was a great speech, and we just used a little little bit of it but it it was well and we know the result of how it came out okay so in 2010 the prior center did lengthy interviews six to eight hour interviews with both uh, uh senator uh bumpers and his wife betty and so we could run some some clips from that next week if you'd like That'll be great. And hopefully there's a clip or two about Betty Bumpers and her work to get children immunized. That has come back to be important. Absolutely. That and um, her environmental work. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. He joins me almost every Monday to talk about Arkansas history with archives from the Pryor Center. Randy, thanks. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Guitarist, singer, songwriter Gary Clark Jr. comes to the Walmart Amp on Saturday, October 23rd. Fusing blues, rock and soul music with elements of hip-hop, Clark's most recent release, This Land, earned three Grammy Awards, including Best Contemporary Blues Album. Tickets available at amptickets.com or 443-5600. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, Blue Mountain. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas, and Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors to our Monday show included Jacqueline Froelich and from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History, Randy Dixon. You can find out more about them by putting Pryor Center into a search engine. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's still performing live uh, most weekday afternoons on his Facebook and Instagram feeds, usually around 4 o'clock our time. Speaking of time, it's almost time for us to leave, but we will be back with you with another brand new show tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF as well as at KUAF.com and streaming live through the free updated KUAF app. And tomorrow, after a summer and kind of fall hiatus, our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherilds, will be back with us. Please take care of yourself. I'm Kyle Kellums.